Man, good morning. Man, so good to be uh, in the house of the Lord this morning. I love um, just being here. I love um, this new place, but more than that, just love being in God's presence. It's cool that we got a new building, but man, it's cool that every time we meet, we get to meet with God. And I love that. And uh, man, I love leaving worship and being a little sweaty. That's good. That's a good feeling. So um, this morning, we're going to be in uh, John 13. So if you've got a Bible, you can kind of flip that way. Uh, if you haven't heard, we have an event coming up called Good Friday. Um, it's amazing. Uh, Christians all over the world are celebrating what we're doing. Uh, I'm just kidding. That was a joke. Um, but, um, they're celebrating what Jesus has done on the cross, and we just want to kind of in the middle of our city come around and say, it's not about us. You'll never see like overflow on a Good Friday flyer because it's not about us. It's not about our church. We're not trying to build a name or a place for us. We're just trying to in the middle of our city in like the biggest way we can lift a shout and say, man, isn't God good? Didn't God do an amazing thing as Jesus stepped down out of heaven? He came to earth, and he, he lived a perfect, sinless life. And then at the end of that, he was killed on a cross for me and you. And I'm amazed by that. Anybody else? Like, I'm amazed by that because I know who I am, and I know how unworthy of that I am. But so did Jesus, and he did it anyway. And that's amazing to me. So I'm amazed by that. And I'm just so thankful that we get to come around in the middle of the city and just kind of shout that. And you're like, I don't know what that's going to look like. I've never been there. Well, you can hang out in Market Square and hear it because it's loud. Um, And it ripples through the city. And it's amazing how God just draws people to that spot. And uh, if you want to miss anything, this isn't the thing to miss. So um, anyway, as we get going towards that, what we do every year is we kind of start a series about Jesus's last kind of week on planet earth. And uh, this year, that series is called Jesus Went. And um, anyway, this morning, we're going to talk about that in John 13. John 13 is a chapter that I've taught over and over again, I think probably every year since we've been doing this. And maybe you're like, I've heard this and I pray you don't shut me off today because you've heard it because the word of God is living and it is effective and we do need it. Like that's why it's written down. I know some of us have that mentality of I've read it that one time and I'm good, but that's just not true. Um, that's good if you are reading like a literary novel, but this is what God's saying to us. And if you just read it one time and you're done, you're shutting off what God would say to you in your life. And that's not really a good thing for people of God. So this is not a book to be read one time or even memorized, but a a, a letter where we can kind of communicate with God, where God can speak to us and we can pray and speak to God. And this is kind of the telephone that we get to do that through. So John 13 this morning is... um, found obviously in the gospel of John. I like to call it the gospel from John's point of view. John is a disciple of Jesus. John, the disciple Jesus loved. And I love that because it brings amazing credibility to this word. I think sometimes we think that, you know, this Jesus came on the planet and he did some things. And then like about a hundred years ago, somebody decided to write down all these stories. And that's just not true. These people that are writing these stories a lot of times are people that actually witnessed these events. Like John was there from the moment he was called to kind of way after Jesus was around. And these are like the eyewitness accounts from John's point of view. These are things that actually John saw with his own eyes. So we're writing, we're reading this this morning. We're not reading some story that had been handed down. And you ever played the telephone game and how it gets distorted? This is not that. John was there in the room as Jesus did these things, and he's, he's just writing down for us, preserving for us the reality of what God has done. So there's no hype around this this morning or confusion around this this morning. This is an eyewitness account of what Jesus was doing 
about the time he was uh, having what we know as the Last Supper. You've seen the paintings, right, where all the people are like around the table. I don't think there was like a table and obviously they weren't all white people with blonde hair and blue eyes, but you know, whatever, they're Middle Eastern. Um, if that's shocking to you, then Jesus was from the Middle East, so just figure that out later. Um, but <laughs> these are the events uh, that kind of took place around that Last Supper, and he begins to write, and what we get in the first couple verses is kind of some editorial notes. John is setting the scene for us so that we know kind of what's happening around these moments, and he says in John 13, before the Passover festival, he's letting us know kind of the time, the season that it is. He's putting a time stamp on this, and the time stamp is the Passover festival. This is not the first time that would ever happen. This is a time that's happened ever since God rescued his people out of Egypt, slavery in Egypt, and they've celebrated it yearly, kind of, I mean, still to today, if you're Jewish. And this Passover festival is the celebration of God rescuing his people out of slavery in Egypt. And he did that through a series of plagues. But most notably, the plague that kind of got them out of Egypt was this plague where God sent the angel of death. I know, like scary Indiana Jones sound and stuff. The angel of death kind of down into Egypt. And the angel of death was to kill the firstborn of every living creature in Egypt. Isn't that crazy? Not just like the Egyptians, but like every living creature. So like if, if you were a cow and you were the firstborn, it was not a good day for you. If you were a sheep and you were the firstborn, it was not a good day for you. Just all over the land. But God spoke to Moses before he did this. And he said, hey, Moses, I want you to know a couple of days before we do this, like four days, I want you to take a lamb and I want you to take it into your house. And I want you to, to live with that lamb and to take care of that lamb. And then four days in, I want you to kill that lamb. And then I want you to take that lamb's blood and I want you to paint the doorpost with it. And any doorpost the angel sees that's been covered in blood, the angel of death will pass over. So we get the name pass over. Isn't it amazing that hundreds of years before this event, whatever happened, Jesus was, or God was setting up another event that would take place. It's no coincidence that Jesus, the Lamb of God, is going to be slain at the, at the Passover time. It's not even a coincidence that four days earlier, Jesus rode into the city on a donkey. He is this perfect, spotless lamb that's been taken into the city, and they've been examining him now for four days. He's been speaking in the synagogue. He's been, he's been casting out these money changers from the temple. He's been, he's been letting the people see him up close and personal to see if there's any fault. And a few moments after this, just a few hours after this, it's going to be declared by a man named Pilate that I can't find any fault in this man. He is spotless. So God sends this lamb down into the city, and here in a moment, here in a couple hours, he's going to die. And anybody that has the blood of this lamb applied, the angel of death, will pass over. Do you see where we're going here? It's amazing because Jesus didn't pick the Passover to die because it meant something. God picked the Passover years and years and years and years ago because one day there was going to be a lamb that stepped down into a city, and it was going to mean something. See, the, the Lamb of God didn't point back to the Lamb in Egypt. The Lamb in Egypt pointed forward to the Lamb of God. So John lets us know, hey, I get this. I may not get everything, but I get this. At the Passover time, at the time before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come. What's that mean? Jesus knew he was going to the cross. 
Jesus knew like he was about to sit down at dinner at 6 o'clock p.m. And then we were going to have a couple hours and he was going to leave dinner. He was going to go to the garden. He was going to be betrayed in the garden. He was going to be tried over and over and over again until eventually he was going to be nailed to a cross, hung before the world, and he was going to suffocate and die. Jesus knew that. Jesus intimately knew the details of what was about to go down. It wasn't like Jesus just knew, yeah, I'm going to die at some point in time around the Passover. Jesus knew they're going to drive nails into my body. Jesus knew they're going to beat me and they're going to mock me and they're going to hang me naked in front of the world to try to shame me. They're, they're going to heap all the sin and the shame. All that's coming on me. They're going to kill me. Jesus knew that. At this moment, as he was set down, this was the mood and the tone that Jesus was sitting in. It says Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. He knew he was leaving, but he knew where he was going. And it says that having loved his own, in other words, Jesus loved his own, that his own he's talking about here is the disciples, but we can look beyond that. His own, everybody that would come to know Jesus. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the very last breath. Speaking about this Passover lamb, the blood that was going to be shed, the cross that Jesus knew he was going to go to, John said, hey, I just want you to know, as Jesus is sitting down and about to go through all this, he loved us. He loved us. Can I just say today, and I think it's been said, maybe if you've been around church long enough, you've heard this, it wasn't some Romans that held Jesus to the cross. Romans are not powerful enough to breathe the guy who to hold the guy who breathed out the stars onto a cross. They can't do that. It wasn't nails that held Jesus to the cross. Jesus actually speaks at one point in time, and he's like, I've got legions of angels that could come and rescue me right now. He wouldn't even need them, right? You breathe out legions of angels, you don't need angels. You could have dissolved the nails and then healed his hands. Like he didn't he didn't need any of that. There was no need for any of that. It wasn't the nails that held Jesus to the cross, and it wasn't some scary Roman guards that kept him there. It was the love that he had for his own that held Jesus on that cross. So John in the editorial notes today, setting the scene for the story, he's like, man, there's a crazy stuff that's about to go down. And there's going to be a lot of questions, because I had a lot of questions. Why did Jesus go through that? Why did Jesus do that? Maybe you guys even ask yourself that. Like, I don't think that's fair. I don't think Jesus should have had to go through that. Well, I don't either, but that was the only way. But man, Jesus, when he went to the cross, he knew exactly what was going to happen. John puts that in there. And Jesus counted it worth it because he loved his own. And he loved his own to the very last breath. And this is in 2, and this, this verse is so weird to me. It seems so out of place in the context that we're talking about Jesus. It says, Now by the time of supper, about the time they were going to sit down, the devil already put into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. There's just this little note. In verse 2, that seems so out of place, right? We're talking about Jesus, and Jesus knows everything, and Jesus is going to the cross, and this is the mood of the room. And then we get to Judas, and like, we don't really even want to talk about Judas, because who's Judas? Nobody cares about Judas. He's a jerk. He betrayed Jesus. Like, he pretended to be a friend, and then he wasn't a friend. That's not, a, it's not okay with me. But he still gets a verse in here, because we're setting the, we're setting the context of the story, and this is important to the story. At this moment, it wasn't like Judas was like, I don't really know, I can't, I can't decide what I'm going to do. No, 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 no. He had already made the decision to sell out Jesus at this moment. When they were going to sit down and eat this meal, he knew, I'm going to sell out Jesus. So much so that he had already got the money for it. You look at Matthew and you're like, when did that transaction take place? And then you compare it to the Gospel of John and, and you can see clearly the transaction took place before they ever sat down to eat. 
He, he sat down at the table with the blood money on his pouch. Jesus knew he was going to die. It was the time of the Passover. He loved his people. And he knew what Judas was about to do. And so did Judas. This is in three that Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands. We're still getting those notes. Like this is the scene at the table. There's so much information just before you ever get into the story. It says Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands. Jesus knew he was in control. Now why would it put that in there? Because we need to know that Jesus was in control. Well, what's it mean to have everything in your hands? It means you have the authority over that, right? You have the control over that. The situation that was about to go down wasn't like Jesus was subjected to the cross. Jesus was obedient to the cross. The Father's will was that Jesus would go. We see the prayer. But Jesus chose the cross. Why did he choose the cross? We get it one verse earlier, right? Because he loved his own to the very end. He could have backed out. He could have walked away. He could have said they're not worth it. He could have said I don't care. He could have said I don't want them anyway. They're screw-ups. They're mess-ups. They're heathen. He could have said any of that, and he could have walked away, but he didn't say that. But it says he knew that he could. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, and it goes on. It says that he had come from God. In other words, Jesus knew who he was. I love this. Jesus never at any point in the Bible has an identity crisis, right? You never see Jesus being like, man, I don't really know. Like, am I the son of God? Am I not the son of God? Like, I don't really know what's happening here. I can do really cool stuff, but I don't maybe. He never does any of that. He never wavers. Because Jesus wasn't like born in Bethlehem, right? He was the creator of the universe who chose to step down into a womb and come out in Bethlehem. He knew exactly who he was. He didn't become Jesus. I've heard people say like he became the son of God when the dove came down at the baptism. That's bull. Sorry that you have false weird theology. And if you don't talk about that later, we can. I've heard people say that before. It's not true. What's he say when he's 12 years old in the temple? Where would you think I'd be? 12-year-old boy, right? Where do you think I'd be? Here doing my father's business. Even at 12 years old, Jesus knew exactly who he was. And here the circumstances of the cross didn't cause Jesus to waver in who he was. See, it's not circumstances really that, that, can, that can get us confused, right? If we know who we are, the circumstances, they won't, really, they won't really shake us. And here Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's about to die. He's going to be betrayed by one of his best friends. And he knows all this stuff is coming down the pike, but he still knows everything is in my hands. I can do whatever. I'm the son of God. I breathe out all creation. I don't have to hang on a cross if I don't want to. Part B, um, I know exactly who I am. It says he knew he was from God, and then it goes on, and he says he knows he's going back. I'll find the verse eventually. He says that, <laughs> and then he was going back to God. He knew exactly where he was going. Yes, Jesus knew I'm going to die on the cross, and that's a horrible thing. I don't think any of us would sign up for that today. But he knew that two amazing things were going to happen out of that. One, that he was going to save everybody who would believe, that he was going to defeat sin, shame, guilt, Hell, the grave, all that was going to be crushed. He knew that the prophecy that had been given in Genesis 3 was going to be fulfilled in this moment. He was going to stomp on that snake's head and that snake was going to be defanged and die. But he also knew, man, this is the doorway 
back to the Father. Can you imagine? I don't even understand the Trinity in total. I know that you're like, I can't come to church anymore. Well, (laughs) good luck. Probably can't go anywhere. It's one of those like deeper mysteries of God than anybody who will be honest with you can really explain. But man, can you imagine God being separated from God? 33 and a half years. <laughs> they had unity for like eternity up to this point. And for 33 and a half years, even if it was just small separation, Jesus was here. God was in heaven. And man, he was a little excited to go back. <laughs> And if Jesus is excited about going there, I think we're probably in pretty good shape. And this is the tone that he sets, these first three verses, for everything that's about to take place. Like, Brad, just get to the story. Well, we can't get to this story until we realize what John's doing here. John is saying to us, before we ever get into the story of Jesus kind of preparing his way towards the cross... Jesus knew exactly who he was and he knew exactly what was about to happen. And every decision that's about to be made isn't just Jesus getting tricked or trapped into something. It's, it's Jesus choosing these things. Jesus' deity in John's gospel is about that. That's why the birth story isn't the birth story of Bethlehem. He says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. And he skips forward just a few verses and he says, the word was made flesh. Jesus isn't a man like you and me. He's covered in flesh like you and me. But he is very much God. And he's saying, even here at the cross, Jesus is very much God. He's very much God. He knows exactly what's happening. And he chose that he didn't have to do any of it. He wanted to do it. He didn't waver in who he was. He didn't waver in his ability. Like, this is a choice. Jesus is deity, and he made these choices. And until we understand that, man, maybe some of this stuff is confusing for us or weird for us. But I want you to know, like, Jesus wasn't subjected to the cross. Jesus chose to go to the cross. So he lays all that framework, and then he starts the story in four. He says, so he, capitalized being Jesus, got up from supper, and he laid aside his robe. He took off his robe. And he took a towel, the servant's garment, and he tied it around himself. Kind of weird if you're about to eat a meal, right? Nobody's coming over my house more than once if I do this every time we (laughs) eat, right? Brad, put your shirt back on, right? Nobody wants to see that. Kind of get the image here. And then he takes this towel and he ties it around himself. He puts on this servant's garment. And you, you look at the disciples, if they were sitting around in this moment, wouldn't this be weird? This is not the first Lord's Supper, Passover meal they've ate with Jesus. Man, this one's a little different. Jesus gets up from supper, he takes off his robe, he puts on this servant's garment, and he starts to do this really weird thing. He says, next he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet and dry them with the towel that he tied around himself. Jesus gets up, he gets up from the table, he scoots back his chair, he goes over and he changes into servant's clothes and then he pours water and he gets down on the ground and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. And then even weirder than that, he takes the towel that he's wearing and begins to dry him off with the towel. 
Now, if you've ever had like a muddy hands or something and you wash them, it just makes a mess, right? You put them on the towel and the towel's now dirty. And you get, so you can imagine Jesus is like now wearing filth from their feet. Now, I don't want to do this. Like we've talked about washing feet before and I'm like, hmm. I'm just kidding, but really it sounds gross to me. Um, you guys wear shoes and socks and these men do not wear shoes and socks. For like three years, we've been just walking around following Jesus, not in our nice Nikes, right? Their feet are probably not like beautiful and glorious and bronzed. They're callous and covered. And Jesus gets down and he begins to serve these guys. Now, maybe that's not even weird for you because, yeah, Jesus is a servant. But this job is reserved for like the lowest servant in the house in this culture. Like... This really is the worst job. This and probably cleaning the toilet. This is it, right? I don't even know if they have toilets in Jerusalem at this time. I have no idea. Maybe some of you scholars will know. But I wouldn't want this job. Actually, I've read that if you were a, a Jewish servant, this wasn't even a job that you were supposed or expected to do. It was customary to wash feet. If you didn't have a servant, you could pour water and you could present the person with water and they could wash their own feet. But like the master of the house would very rarely ever or probably never get down and wash somebody's feet. That's more than is what expected. And here we have Jesus, who is the greatest, obviously, at the table. He's their master. They've been following him for three and a half years. And he's in this moment thinking about, I'm going to the cross. He knows exactly what's about to happen. He knows that he's going to be betrayed, and he knows he's going to be tried, and he knows it's going to be a long night. And nobody would have blamed him, right? Like, Jesus, just sit down and rest. Jesus, just sit down and eat the meal, man. You need to enjoy this because I know what's about to happen. Like Nobody would have blamed Jesus if he just skipped this. So why does Jesus do this? He wants to serve these people. See, Jesus is about to die. He is about to be nailed to a cross. And all these men are going to witness this. And before they witness this, he wants them to know, like, I I love you. And I love you enough to just get down and get up close and personal with, with the dirt, right? I don't, I don't care to be in those intimate spaces where you don't really want anybody else. I don't care to get down on my hands and knees and wash your feet. I came to serve. And he doesn't even care like if we get a little dirt on him. He's not afraid of the mess. He's not afraid of the muck. So Jesus gets down and he, he begins to wash these people's feet and then he begins to dry them with this towel. And I love this image because what is Jesus about to do in, in a big way? This is the small way, but what is Jesus about to do in a big way? He's already stepped out of heaven, pushed back from the table. He's already took off his robe of light. He's already kind of laid down that deity that he was wrapped in and he put on servant's clothes. He put on flesh and he came to do one thing. And what is that thing? He came to serve. He came to serve by getting down into the most dirty places of our lives, those most places that we don't want people at and, and, to, and, and to clean them with his water. And as he cleans us to take our dirt and filth on him, it's what he's about to do on the cross, and we just get this picture of it. Jesus thinking, man, how can I show these people what I'm doing? How can I serve them and love them one more time? So Jesus does this, and he begins to go around the table, and it says that he came to Simon Peter. And you know it's going to be good when it comes to Peter. 
I saw a meme Nick posted the other day and tagged me in. Peter, when we get to heaven, is probably going to have some words with a lot of us because Peter gets picked on a lot. But Peter has some amazing moments, and he has some really dumb moments. And, man, I can relate to that because sometimes I really get it, and a lot of times I really don't. And Jesus sets down and shares space with those kind of people. There's some hope for me. So he gets to Peter. It's assumed that he's not starting at Peter because it doesn't say he started with Peter. It says he came to Peter. So he's washed some feet before he gets here. I don't know how many, maybe one, maybe 11. But he comes to Peter. And Peter asks him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Now, that seems like an amazing question, right? Like somebody else should have been asking this question. Lord, you even acknowledges right in the first, Lord, you are in charge. You're the boss. You're the master. You're the guy. Do you think you're going to wash my feet? Why are, you, why are you washing people's feet? You're the master. You're the Lord. Why are you doing this? It seems like a question maybe that should have been asked about 11 other times by now. But Peter's the first guy that speaks up, and we're like, Peter, yeah, you get it, man. He's the Lord. He shouldn't be washing feet. But this, I think, is probably what we would receive as humility, but what it is is actually pride. Because if Peter really cared that Jesus was washing feet, Peter, when Jesus pushed back from the table, would have stood up, changed the clothes out, and started washing people's feet. He wasn't interested in serving. He just didn't want to be served. So Jesus gets there, and he says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And what he's really saying is, Lord, do you think I'm actually going to let you wash my feet? You're the master. You're the Lord. We've been following you. I proclaimed you as the Messiah already. You remember that? There's no way the Messiah should be washing people's feet. It may be good enough for them. It may be good enough for, um, you know, like Bartholomew. That guy's kind of weird. We don't know much about him. It may be good enough for him and Timothy. Like, you know, they may, they may, they may get it. Thomas, sorry, wrong name. They may, they may get the foot washing, but I'm not doing that. I'm Peter. I get it. You're the Messiah. You can't serve me. And Jesus looks back at him, he answers him, and he says, what I'm doing, you don't understand now, but afterwards, you will know. In other words, hush, Peter, I'm going to wash your feet. Just quit asking questions, let me wash your feet, dude. And then Peter says back to him, you will never wash my feet, emphasis, ever, Peter said. Jesus, you are not touching my feet. There's no way I'm letting you wash my feet. I get it. You're the Lord. I don't deserve that. You can't wash my feet. You're the guy in charge. I need to earn something. I wash my own feet. You can't wash my feet. Do you see what's happening here with Peter? He's not like, Jesus, let me wash people's feet. He's like, Jesus, it may be good enough for them, but it ain't good enough for me. You can't wash my feet. I get who you are, and you shouldn't be serving me. You can serve them, but you can't serve me. Have we ever heard that? Have we ever felt that way? This is exactly what Peter's doing in these moments. It's the, the, the voice that we were talking about earlier. No, I'm not good enough. Maybe I'm too good. But he tries to have this argument with Jesus about, Jesus, can you serve me? And it's amazing because Jesus keeps engaging in the argument. If it had been us, right? Like, really? No, you don't have to wash my feet. Oh, thank the Lord. <laughs> I don't want to touch your feet anyway. Right? Some of you like are weirded out by feet. You're going to gag if people take their shoes off and you see it. and You'd be like thankful the guy was letting you out. But he says, Jesus, you're not washing my feet. Yes, I am. Jesus, I'm not letting you wash my feet ever. Dude, you got to. 
He keeps engaging him in this argument. He keeps coming after him in this argument. And then he says to him, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. If I don't wash you, he doesn't say your feet. If I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Now you look at that and you're like, that's a little hostile. And it's just feet. It's not that serious. Like you don't have, like Jesus, you're going to ditch the guy because he won't let you wash his feet. Like we've we got really to the point yet where we can figure out Jesus is not really talking about feet here. Jesus is not concerned about the, the dirt on your feet when you sit down at the table. We're going somewhere else with this conversation in these moments. Jesus looks at him and says, you got to let me wash you. Translation, you got to let me serve you. Or you don't have a part with me. you got to ditch the attitude of, I'm too good to serve you. you got to cast that away. Now see, that's a struggle for some of us, isn't it? Because we know who we are. We know that we're sinners. We know we've messed up. We know we're not good enough. We know that there's a gulf there, and it's not fair. Jesus had to die for us. And I think Jesus would say in the situation today, you've got to ditch the idea that I'm too good to serve you and just let me serve you. Because if you don't let me serve you, you don't have any part with me. On the flip side of that, we got to ditch the idea that we're too good to be served. Don't we get that way sometimes? Oh, I can earn this. I can do this. I can be good. I can watch my language. I can quit going those places. I can quit talking to those people. I can quit, I can quit thinking those things and doing those things. Well, maybe you can, but the problem is not the things, right? The problem is the heart. The things are just the expression of the heart. So maybe I can quit saying bad words, but the problem is there were bad words in my heart that were coming out, so I have a heart issue. I can quit going places maybe. I have that self-control and I can quit doing that. But if I had the urge to go those places, even if I can control the urge, the issue is I have a heart issue. Do you ever wonder why God just really doesn't focus on behaviors a whole lot? And he says things like the heart's deceptively wicked deceitful above all else. In other words, the heart, because you can control your actions, will tell you that the heart is good. And then your heart is not good. You can dress good. You can walk around and act like you got it all together. You can maybe even act good. But unless you let God serve you, your goodness will lead you straight into hell and separation forever from God. And he's looking at Peter here, and Peter's from the perspective of, you're too good to serve me. And maybe we're some of those people in the room, but some of us maybe are the people that think we're too good to be served. And God's saying to all those people today, if you don't let me serve you, you don't have a part with me. You can pray the prayer, you don't have a part with me. You can come to church, you don't have a part with me. You can sing the songs, you don't have a part with me. Unless I serve you, unless I get intimate into the dirt of your life, you don't have a part with me. He says, you got to let me wash you. And then, man, this is one of those like glorious Peter moments. He looks back and he says to him, Lord, not only my feet then, but also my hands and my head. Lord, if that's what it takes to have a part with you, man, just wash me all. You're going to have all of me. 
Peter in this moment realizes the depth of this conversation. He maybe still thinks we're talking about feet, but he says, God, if that's what it takes to have a part with you, you can have all of me. That is the only reasonable response when Jesus walks in the room and he says, I'll serve you. You say, okay, Lord, I'm not worth it. Let's just get past that. But man, if that's what it takes to have you, I want you. I want you. So I'm going to get over the pride I'm going to get over that hurdle today, and I'm just going to let you serve me. I know that I'm not good enough. But if that's what you want to do, then I don't want to just give you a little bit. That's what he's saying. I don't want to just give you a little bit. You can have all of me because I want all of you. This is like the Peter, we get it now. And Jesus looks back at him and he says, one who is bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but he is completely clean. Peter, I'm not talking about your feet. This is not about having a shower. This is not bath time. He says, you are clean. Why is he clean? Because he sees and he believes. I see that Jesus is worth it and I'll let him serve me. I see that I want him and whatever it takes to get him, I'm willing to do. And he looks at him, he's like, you're clean. You're clean. Then he says, but not all of you. Kind of wonder if he's like Judas, right? <laughs> Judas knows if he's paying attention. Jesus knows. We got that in John. Nobody else knows. It's kind of powerful in itself, isn't it? Twelve guys following Jesus for three years. One of them doesn't have any part of Jesus. It betrays him and nobody suspects him. You can go to church and be lost. But he looks and he says, but not all of you. It says in 11, for he knew who would betray him. And that is why he said, you are not all clean. John comes right back here at the bottom and reminds us, Jesus knows everything that's happening. Jesus knows as he goes around this table, there's somebody at this table who'd betray him. But then we get to verse 12 and this is kind of the power in verse 12. It says, when Jesus had Washed their feet. Whose feet? The twelve guys who were at the table. Jesus knew he was headed to the cross. He knew that he was going to die. He knew that Judas was going to meet him in the garden and betray him with a kiss. He knew that Judas was wearing the money and he even comments on it at the table. Not everybody here is clean. But what is Jesus doing? He's still washing feet. There's a guy at that table who was going to betray Jesus and Jesus is still saying, man, I want to serve you. While I get down and I'm washing your feet, I can see the money that they paid you to betray me. And I still want to serve you. 
never occurred to you that Judas gets the rap here, but there are a lot of people with a lot of problems sitting around that table. Oh, Judas, he was going to betray him, and Jesus will wash the feet of the betrayers. Peter was going to deny him. Peter was going to say, I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. Get away from me. I don't know who this guy is. And Jesus is having an argument. You've got to let me wash your feet. For the deniers in this room, Jesus is still willing to get down in your space and wash your feet. Thomas, sitting at the table. Jesus has been preaching, right? I'm, I'm going, but I'm coming back. They're going to kill me. I'm coming up out of the grave. Jesus is coming up out of the grave. The guys come, and they tell Thomas, and Thomas is like, I don't believe any of that crap. Until I can put my fingers in the holes in his hands and in the place in his side, I'm not going to believe He's coming back. Thomas is a doubter, and Jesus gets down in his space, and he says, Hey, I want to wash your feet. I want to wash your feet. See, the truth is, there's all kinds of people sitting around the table with all kinds of issues and all kinds of problems, and Jesus says to every one of those people, I'm just here to serve you. I want to wash your feet. I just want to serve you. I'm here to serve you. This is a picture of what Jesus is about to do on the cross when he's sitting on the cross, when he's standing there and he's suspended between heaven and earth and they're heaping all the dirt of all the world on his shoulders. He's looking at that same Thomas and that same Peter and that same Judas and he's saying, I just want to serve you. I just want to serve you. I'm, I'm not afraid to take the robe off and put on the servant's clothes. I'm not afraid to get in the most intimate places of your life, those places you don't let anybody see or near. I'm not afraid of the smell. I'm not afraid of the filth. And I'm not even afraid to get it on me. I died on the cross and took it all on me. I'm not afraid to serve you. I'm not afraid to serve you. I just want to say to anybody in this place today, no matter what the issue, the thing holding you back from Jesus today is, he just wants to serve you. And you may run from that today, and you may run from that tomorrow, but Jesus is the kind of God that's going to argue with you about that until there's just no more opportunities. Jesus is coming for your heart, and today all we have to do is say, okay, God, if that's what it takes to have you, not just a little piece of me, but you can have every piece of me. I'm not too good. And I know you are, but if you want to serve me, I'll let it happen today. For some of us today, what that means is salvation, right? Like some of us, let's just be honest, some people that come to church don't know Jesus. Because we're like Peter. And we want to argue and we want to say, I can get there. It's not fair that you had to die for me, I can get there. And Jesus is saying, no, you can't. No, you can't. It's not about changing clothes and changing attitude and changing language and changing radio stations. It's not about that. You can never get to me because you are dead. But I came to make you alive. 
For some of us today, we, we know Jesus, but we're just not letting him get in those personal spaces in our life. We, we're just afraid to let Jesus serve us out of our sin and out of our sorrow and out of our shame, out of our addiction. We're afraid to let him into those places. Can I just tell you today something you already know? Jesus sees those places. He sees every ounce of hurt. You cannot hide it from him. What's it say in Hebrews 4? All things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him. Jesus sees the hurt and the anger and the fear. He sees all that. He sees that. I don't know if you're here. He sees that. I'm just so mad. I don't know if I want you here. He sees that. And still he's saying today, I want to get down. And I want to serve you. I want to get in your space and I want to serve you and I want to serve the angry people and I want to serve the hurting people and I want to serve the doubting people. I want to serve the, the betraying people. I want to serve all the people. So many times we think we only need Jesus to save us and then we just ditch him until we get to heaven. No, Jesus came to save you back then, but he came also to save you today. And some of us need to let him do that. But then for some of us, he continues the story because he said, oh, I'm going to explain it to you. When Jesus had washed their feet and he put back on his robe, again, it's just a picture, right? Jesus came to serve and he puts back on his deity. He said last week, he's never coming on a baby donkey again. And he sat down at the table because he was finished. He said to them, do you see this picture after the cross of what Jesus is doing? He's going to ascend to heaven. He's going to put back on deity with all the authority. And he's going to sit down at the right hand of the father because he's finished until the father says, son, go get my bride. This is just that intermission before he comes back. And he looks at these people and he says, do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord. You say that I'm the master and this is well because I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done. I assure you, a slave is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. This is what Jesus says. Like, I don't see how that has a place in these stories. Because there are a lot of us who are okay with being served by Jesus. You know, out of the 12 disciples at the table, only one got argued. But you know, out of the 12 disciples at the table, not one person got up to take the water. We're at this moment now where Jesus has ascended back into heaven and he's looking at the church and he's like, hey, you got to take the water. There's a lot of us okay with not going to hell. And there's a lot of us okay with not doing some things. But man, I don't see a lot of people in the church okay with saying, you know what? Jesus served, so I'm going to serve. And maybe like we do in glamorous places, right? Like it's easy to stand on a stage. This is not like the hardest thing that we do at church. 
But man, it is hard to get down in the dirty places of people's lives and invest in those moments to get intimate with all those feelings and thoughts people have and to, and to even in that speak Jesus over them. It is difficult to serve in the ways that aren't seen that nobody ever says thank you for. It is difficult to clean a toilet. That's not a fun job. But Jesus looks at the church and he's like, there's a lot of people that are okay with being served, but I don't see a lot of people okay with serving people. And we wonder, like, why is the church not busting out the seams? Why are there not, like, people coming in from everywhere? It's because nobody asked. Because it's somebody else's job. Why, why do we not have all these things? Uh, this church doesn't do anything. How many people have heard that in churches? This church doesn't have anything for blank group. Why don't you do something? Because it's somebody else's job. It's not the church's job to serve church people. It's church people's job to serve lost people. Until we get in our heads this idea that, man, we're not building some temple and some shrine so that church people can be more comfortable and have their needs met. We're trying to do exactly what Jesus was doing, invest in the lives of people that need Jesus in a way that brings them to Jesus. We're never going to be anything other than just some holy club that comes and talks about stuff that really doesn't matter because we're never going to live it anyway. And Jesus, at this point in the story, has ascended back into heaven. And he's put on his deity. And we're in the intermission between the going and the coming back. And he's looking at the church and he's saying, hey, I served you. I served every one of you. I got down on my knees and I begged you to let me serve you. And I'm the master. I'm the Lord. I'm the Savior. I'm the, I'm the least person at the table who should have got down and served anybody at the table. And a slave, let me just assure you, is not greater than his master. You are not better today than Jesus and if Jesus is going to serve, if Jesus is willing to serve, if Jesus is willing to say, I'll put on the slave clothes, I'll put on the towel, and I'll get filth on me. I'm not afraid of some filth. You know what? The church should be about that too. We want to attack and we want to get angry and we want to say, I can't believe you would live that way instead of saying, you know what? I don't care. I just want to wash your feet. I come to scrub today. Does anybody want to be cleaned? And Jesus is looking at us and he's saying, I've done it. Now go do it. Go do it. Go do it. Jesus is inviting us into the work of Jesus today. He's looking for people that will say, you know what? It's not about me. It's not about being seen. I will humble myself because he humbled himself. I will get inside of the upside down kingdom where the first is last and the last is first. And my goal is not to be first place on the ladder. My goal is to be at the bottom pushing other people up the ladder. That's what I want to be because that's who Jesus was. When I was in my pit, what did he do? He reached down and he pulled me up. When I was in my grave, what did he do? He went down and he laid in my spot and he rolled me out. Thank God that God was willing to humble himself for me. Who am I that I shouldn't be willing to humble myself for others?